have been talking about what authentic Christianity is, and we're going to continue that today. This is the eighth week. It's almost, it's like two months of what real Christianity is, what, what it looks like, what it embodies. And we will be talking today about uh, freedom from conscience, our conscience. Talk about uh, the issues uh, in that regard. The conscience is the part of our spirit, the way I understand it. Our spirit is made up of communion, the part of us that's able to communicate or commune with God, have fellowship with Him, wisdom, uh, and conscience. Wisdom is knowing knowing things, that part of us that's able to just know. And we've gone through that. I've had a chart of that all before, what, our, what comprises our spirit, what comprises our soul, what comprises our, our body. We're talking about conscience today, but let me just quickly review what we've looked at, and you'll Perhaps you'll have these memorized by the time we're done, if I go over them every week. At least you remember the first few at the beginning. First week we talked about loving God enough to be content, and content enough to say thank you in everything. In everything. Second week, to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus, we must follow his pattern, which is rejected, slain, raised. There, there's that aspect of the Christian life where we need to reckon ourselves as having been crucified with Christ, been buried, and then raised again to newness of life third week we talked about resurrection, live as though we have died, been resurrected, gone to heaven, and come back. So there should be impact. There should be something visibly different about us in the fact that, that we've experienced that and uh, we live our lives differently. Fourth week we talked about how do we live that way, and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's faith in Jesus. We talked about uh, faith in Jesus, faith plus nothing when we talk about salvation, which is... Uh, did a couple weeks ago. We live by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us, and it's His power working through us that enables us to live the way that we should. The fifth week, we talked about the supernatural universe. The supernatural universe is comprised of two halves of natural, supernatural. The two parts of the realm of the world, the universe that we live in, are interconnected. They run parallel to each other. They interact with each other. Things happen in the natural realm that affect supernatural. There's things in the supernatural realm that affect the natural. And the supernatural realm is not far off, but it's right here. We just can't see it normally with our natural eyes. God can give us supernatural vision to see into the supernatural realm. The sixth week we talked about salvation, the whole aspect of salvation, and that it's in three three parts, if I can say it that way. Past, future, present. The past is when we trusted Jesus as our Savior. We were justified. There is that day when Jesus returns, when we will receive our glorified bodies, but the process that we're in right now is sanctification, which is the, which is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in us to make us more like Jesus. Process of sanctification. So justification was in the past, Sanctification is now, glorification is future, so salvation really has three segments to it or three parts or however you want to look at that. Last week we looked at fruitfulness. Because we are united with Christ, we are called his bridegroom, we are the vine, he is the vine, we are the branches. There should be fruit coming from our lives because of our relationship with him. Today we're going to talk about healing in our conscience. Let me pray. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask for all of your power to be released to bring us to a place of greater revelation in the places where we need revelation. We're coming to you. And Lord, we are lifting empty hands of faith to you this morning, asking for you to teach us the things that you want us to know. And Lord, we don't want just information. We want revelation that transforms us. And so do that. We are dependent on you, Holy Spirit. Thank you in Jesus' name. Freedom. I just thought this morning this has nothing to do with the message Freedom. God loves freedom. I thought of it while we were praying. God loves freedom. He loves freedom. He wants us to be in freedom. And freedom is not permission to do whatever you want. True freedom in the biblical sense is the power to do what's right. The power to do what's right. You see, this... Oh, I went here... And now I have to explain just a little bit more. Power to do what's right. Some of us at times have different struggles with sin. How much power does it take for you to not fall into the sin that so easily entangles you? Freedom is not having to exert a whole lot of power to not do that. You understand what I'm saying? There's a place of maturity where it becomes really, really easy to not sin. To grow in Christ-likeness, it's, not, it's, it's like the thing that so easily entangles you or the button that the enemy knows he can push to make you angry or to get you to do what he wants, and it's just boom, 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 and, and you fall into it. Freedom is when he pushes that button, we just kind of go, sorry, nothing there. Sorry, tanks empty. That freedom is the power to do what's right without really having to try, okay? That's the kind of freedom that God wants for us so that it's not a struggle. It's not like, oh, I just, if, oh, I can't get mad at this driver in front of me. Oh, I did it, I did it, I didn't get mad. And it's just like this grit your teeth kind of, that's not freedom, is it? That really, it's not freedom. Okay, I didn't yell, I didn't, I didn't curse him in some way or her but i had this internal struggle anyway we're talking about conscience today when the, when when that's just extra god loves freedom he loves freedom just remember that that's just extra today somebody needed that apparently um in the fall that occur, occurred in the garden, man was separated from God. And we've talked about this. When, when Adam sinned, there came uh, death. There came separation of God and his relationship with man. It affected everything. Affected The curse just went worldwide and affected so many things. But there was something else that happened at, at that moment and still affects us today. There came a separation within man himself. I became, I, I, my inheritance from Adam through my father, fatherly line is there's, a, there's disconnectedness in me. I feel like there's brokenness in me that needs to be healed. There's, and, and the way that I know that is my conscience. My conscience uh, rises up every once in a while and makes me uncomfortable. You ever have uncomfortable issues with your conscience? Okay, so that, And there's this disquiet in you. Um, 
is there freedom in that regard? Is there um, healing in that regard? Our conscience has been described by someone as a big muddy dog that's just laying on the floor. And when we as Christians do something wrong and we don't deal with it, eventually that dog gets up, jumps on us, and tries to either suffocate us or consume us or something until we go to the Lord and confess our sin, clear the air, and then tell the dog to go lay down and let me alone, right? Isn't that kind of the, kind of the way the conscience works? It's there, and it's used by God to just remind us it's time to deal with this issue, okay? So let's, that's kind of what we're going to talk about uh, today. Um, modern psychology attempts to deal with our condition of this disconnect within us in a, in a different way. They come at, modern psychology comes at the human condition from a non-biblical perspective, and that's why we talked about the supernatural universe and the fact that as Christians, we understand the world from God's perspective that we're in this open system. We talked about, unif- I don't know if you remember this, the uniformity of natural causes in a closed system, which means that the natural man, um, modern man without God, believes that we're just kind of chance beings that just kind of happened along. We just evolved because this mass of stuff and energy created life, and eventually through the centuries or the eons of billions of years that life developed, and then eventually man came. And so Modern man's view of us as human beings is that we're just this collection of chemistry and psychology. And so they deal with you on that basis. So that when modern psychology tries to help people with problems with this issue of conscience and disconnect and not feeling comfortable with themselves, what it's actually gotten to the point in our modern world is take a pill, right? Isn't that where we are? Okay, this is what we do, take a pill. We're, we're just... You know, we don't know how to fix that is because we don't know if there is a fix for your issue. Because we came out of who knows what, so we don't have any basis for what's right and wrong. So here, just take a pill, and if it makes you feel better, good, we, we fixed you. Okay? But the truth of the matter is, a Christian looks at the world. We live in a universe where there is a personal, infinite God who is holy. And when we sin, we have violated who he is. He created the universe, and the universe is a reflection of him. And in his world, everything is perfect. And anything that's not is a disruption, is, is, is contrary to who he is. Okay. Uh, when we trust Jesus as our Savior, and we talked about this, Trusting Jesus as a Savior is coming to him with nothing. By faith, we receive Jesus as our Savior. We say, I'm, I'm coming to you because I know that you died on the cross for my sin. And so I'm receiving the payment. I come to the Lord with nothing. Faith plus nothing. He did the work. I just receive it. The basis for our faith is the finished work of Jesus. The way that I access that is my faith. I just reach up and take it. So that when I trust Jesus, my guilt, my guilt is gone, okay? My guilt is gone. Not my guilt feelings, but my guilt is gone. In other words, God declares me righteous, top to bottom, front to back, north to south, east to west, all the way around, past, future, present. 
The guilt is gone. But what we want to deal with when we talk about the whole issue of conscience is that when I, as a Christian, do something that's out of character, we looked at that verse last week that said, um, anything apart from faith is sin. That's a really high standard. Uh, and that doesn't even say it well, does it? <laughs> it's an impossible, it's an impossible standard from our thinking in, in certain ways. Um, and so when we sin, what do we do? That's what we want to talk about, this whole issue of conscience. And so I want to talk, do with, deal with two things, first of all. Uh, some things, teachings that have been in the church, have gotten into the church. They circulate. It seems like they, they um, you hear about them for a while, and then they disappear, and then they come back again, and they, come, they put on different clothing and come back dressed a little differently, but it's the same old, same old and one, the, the one of them is perfectionism. Like, like there, there comes a point, you trust Christ as your Savior, and at some point in your life, something happens. There's a second blessing. There's this new empowerment to, that enables you to live perfectly. And the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that when we're justified, God sees us as perfect because he wraps Christ's righteousness around us. But it also teaches us that in this present time that we're in sanctification, we are justified completely. Our guilt is gone, but we still fall into sin. We need to deal with it. John Wesley actually believed in perfectionism early on in his walk with the Lord. But in later years, he abandoned that because he realized it didn't work. It was too frustrating. It didn't, it wasn't, he couldn't live that way. And so he abandoned that, realized that we do sin. So the other, the other part of that is that some people teach perfectionism for the moment. Like, okay, right now, I'm, I'm in fellowship with the Lord. I'm not doing anything wrong. Can I be perfect this moment? All conscious sin is gone. I've dealt with everything that I know. It's gone. Well, that's fine. But what do you know? In other words, there is a depth to us. There's stuff about me I don't know. I'm like an iceberg. You're like an iceberg. 10% sticks above the surface, 90%'s below. How do I know that? Because every once in a while, the Lord, the Holy Spirit works in me, and something bubbles to the surface, and I see this new issue, and I go, okay, what's that? And he says, well, it was from this is coming because of this. Okay, so let's deal with this. And then I found out that this happens because of this. And so I deal with this, and I found out that, well, the reason that this happened is because this. And, and, you, and next thing you know, it's like, this is like the bottomless pit, or what? What is this? And so there's, in other words, what I'm saying is, we can't know that all of our sin is, is cog cognizant. We can't know everything about us right now in this life. We can't. Um, and, and I don't say that to make us feel hopeless because we're not hopeless. We've been talking about the fact that we can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit now and live a supernatural life now. And we can live in a way free from guilt. But when, when guilt feelings come, when this issue of our conscience rises up, what do we do? How do we deal with it? And that's kind of what we talk about today. Um, where am I? 
Sometimes I just take off and then I go, The other thing is, from the time Adam and Eve were in the garden and the fall came, God immediately began to initiate the plan of salvation, the work of grace. We entered into, in theological terms, a season of grace, of forgiveness, and and he instituted the sacrificial system, the shedding of blood for the covering or cleansing of sin, pointing to Jesus who would come and ultimately go to the cross and die for us. And so that was, that's the, 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 the range of, of existence that we're in now is this grace. Um, and so when I see, here, here's part of, this is kind of tied into the perfectionism, just to deal with this and then we'll move on. The whole perfectionism thing can bring about a whole nother issue in our lives, if I if I focus on being perfect, and boy, I don't want to I don't want to focus on being perfect. I want to focus on Jesus, okay, and and that's a whole lot easier. But see, if I if I get focused on perfectionism, here's what can happen: I can start to see a victory as my victory, and it's not my victory; it's Jesus' victory in me. Okay, right? Because I, I'm doing everything by grace. I'm living by grace, and it's what He's doing in me and through me. And so when I'm coming to him, and we talked about this, that salvation comes by lifting the empty hands of faith and receiving salvation. And then I realize that the Christian life is not something that I do in my own strength, in my own power, but I come to him, realize I can't do it. I lift the empty hands of faith and get his enablement and his empowerment to do what I'm supposed to do. And so it's that constant thing. So if, I, if I'm striving for perfection, I can get to the point where I think, hey, I did that. I did good, I did good, I did good, I did good. And where does that lead us? To pride, which is probably worse than what I'm trying to over what I just overcame. What I just had victory in. So anyway. So that so then it's, it really becomes incumbent upon us that when we ha- when we when we have victories, and folks, I don't, I don't. I don't remember this. You know, I'm, you know, I'm a pastor. God asked me to be a pastor. I said yes. But I don't do everything like everybody thinks pastors do. <laughs> but every victory, when we, when we have victories, you know what we need to do? We need to take that and we need to lay it at the feet of Jesus and say thank you. We need to be content enough to say thank you in all things, to say thank you in the, in the negative things that come our way, but in each victory, we need to take it to his feet, lay it at his feet, and say thank you. Thank you. I know I didn't deserve that, but I'm so grateful that you did that for me, that you enable me to walk in victory in that situation. See, when we, it's all part of our relationship with him, and the more we're able to do that, the more he will work in us, and we will, we, our, our thinking will be transformed so that we can walk in a way that pleases God. And it won't take so much effort. And I don't mean that it becomes a habit that we don't think about, because our relationship with Him has to be engaged. <laughs> engaged with every part of our being. Okay. Um, the, other, the other side of all this is that we can't look too lightly at sin. We can't think of sin as, as being insignificant. The Westminster Catechism, which is just a doctrine, statement of faith, says that we, we sin daily in word, thought, and deed. And so, you know, 
people that repeat that catechism over and over again. Well, we sin daily, we sin daily, we sin daily. If we go, yeah, okay, okay, so I sin, big deal. We can't get that big deal kind of process. Sin needs to be dealt with, even in this whole process of sanctification. Um, and God has provided a way for us to do that. But he doesn't see that. And see, the whole point of this is that I don't want to focus on sin. I don't want to walk around thinking about sin. I don't want to try... I don't want to try to say, okay, I need to stop sinning. I need to stop sinning. What if I said, everybody just keep your eyes right here, okay? Keep your eyes right here. What if I told you that over on the wall there was a spider crawling and he's building a big web, but don't look at it? Now, if I just said that, everybody would look over there. Actually, there was one last week, but I didn't say anything, but he left a mess over there on the wall and... We had to clean. See, some of you are starting to look. There's nothing there. You understand if you make sin your focus, what are you going to be thinking about? That's not what God wants for us. Who does he want us to be thinking about? Him. Him. And so we're just talking about the mechanisms and, and the way things work, but he is our focus. And so if we can keep our focus on him and we keep the the right ideas in place or the right concepts the right principles he makes it easy for us and it really you know it all comes back to taking up our cross daily being crucified with Christ laying down our lives and receiving from him what he wants to give to us so what happens is when we find ourselves sinning and the bible says well we'll get to it in a minute that we do sin, our conscience is the part of us that rises up and says, you need to deal with this. Now, we can deal with it before our conscience ever comes after us, that big, muddy dog that will jump on us and try to wrestle us to the ground, uh, or whatever. Maybe there's a different kind of figure you would like to think of as far as conscience goes, but not that. But what happens, since we're Christians, we've trusted Christ as our Savior, when we sin, our relationship with God is affected. We, don't, we aren't lost. We haven't lost our salvation, but we've affected our relationship with Him. And so that we realize that what we had, there's something wrong with what we used to experience, what we used to have in our relationship with Him, and how do I get back to that? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says this, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Jesus was tempted in every way like we were, but without sin. Being tempted is not sin. Taking the temptation and playing with it is Thought comes into your mind, you start thinking about it, and the next thing you know, you're entertaining the thought. And if you entertain it long enough, eventually it works its way out. 1 John 5, verses 3 and 4, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith overcomes the world. Why does our, our faith overcome the world? Because our faith is grounded in, rooted in, reaching for the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's the power. All we're doing, our faith is just the plug that gets plugged into the power source that allows it to flow to us. 
So we're always lifting empty hands of faith. So I'm walking along, doing my, my, going my merry way, having my uh, usual life and sin enters. And you know what? I don't care. I, I don't... It doesn't matter if it's a little thing or a big thing. Sin is sin, right? And so our conscience, really what God wants is for our conscience to bring us to a place where we, we um, become very sensitive to the things that are contrary to God's nature so that we deal with them, so that we can walk in greater holiness now in this life. And sometimes I do things and my peace disappears. And, and my quietness disappears. And I look back and I realize that something that I used to experience in my walk with God is gone. And it's like, what, what is wrong? What is wrong? I remember what I used to have and I think, well, how do I get back? What do I need to do? And you know, it's, it's the same old thing we've said many times, confession. We'll talk about that. First John chapter 1, verse 4 through 9. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. We were laughing, we were praying here before worship this morning, we were here laughing, just not at anything in particular, just joyful. God wants us to be joyful. He really wants us to be joyful. And this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. All that's saying is if we're walking in darkness, we can't walk with God if we're in darkness because light and darkness can't be in the same place. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this scripture is saying that you know, if you're saying you don't have sin, you're deceiving yourselves because you don't really know yourself. I mean, it's the, the Holy Spirit's job and part of his responsibility is to help us to grow, to root out the things that are in us so that we can get rid of them. And there's things in me that need to be rooted out. There's things in you that need to be rooted out. And eventually, I'm just glad that God doesn't do it all at once. If he did it this morning for us, we'd all either be laying on the floor here for days or we'd be crawling out the back door trying to just recover from all of that. But notice the verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is the way back. We need to call sin, sin. And we need to be specific about the sin that we confess. Our conscience is what God uses to, to, to help us to see, but our, the, the chastening that God brings or the discipline that he brings is not punishment, it's just chastening. It's like, hello? Why does God want to help us to, to overcome the sin in our lives? Is there a sin in our life? Because he wants a fuller life for us. He wants a richer life for us, and he knows that that sin holds us back or prevents us from walking in everything that he wants us to walk in. He 
Hebrews 12, verse 5 to 11, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Well, why would God chasten us or rebuke us if there wasn't sin in us? Something to rebuke. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. You see that? He chastened us as seemed best to them. The fathers did but for our prophet that we would be partakers of his holiness. He wants us to be partakers of his holiness. You see, he understands that when we walk in holiness, that's really like great for us. <laughs> see, he sees us, he, when he looks at us, he, he sees us clothed in Christ's righteousness, but he knows in this present world we still have issues in our lives that are buried in our soul. And he wants to free us for those so that we can enjoy more of his holiness because he knows when we walk in that kind of holiness more and more that we will be blessed beyond measure. He wants the best for us. That's why fathers, parents discipline their children. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Peaceable fruit of righteousness. Peaceable fruit. Of righteousness. God won't allow us to continue to do things that work against our ultimate good because He loves us. And if He doesn't chasten us, then we're not children. So we need to identify sin. If our conscience is, is suggesting something to us, then we need to confess and confess. And confess, and I say confess all the time. Do you understand that asking forgiveness doesn't necessitate acknowledging specific sin? I hear a lot of people say, God, please forgive us. Please forgive us. You know, it's like a little kid's at home and he breaks a vase. He's, he's horsing around in the living room and his mom told him not to go in the living room and he's throwing a ball in there, he's horsing around in there, throws the ball and hits a vase, breaks it. But goes to his dad, he says, I'm going to preempt this. Dad, would you please forgive me? Dad's like, for what? <laughs> well, just forgive me. Just say, tell me you forgive me. Dad doesn't know what to forgive him for. What am I forgiving you for? Well, Dad, I broke the vase. Ah. See, the Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful to forgive us. You understand that confession is the key that releases God's forgiveness. I don't believe the Bible teaches us to ask for forgiveness. Now, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And that's in our relationship with one another. But when it comes to our relationship with God, we confess he forgives. We, you want to know my opinion on this? I don't think he can forgive us if we ask him to forgive us. He needs legal reason to forgive us. 
and the legal reason. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin, but I have to call sin, sin, specifically call it sin, and that allows him to forgive me. I just have to come into alignment, and it's, I mean, that's, that's just the way I look at it. If we're walking in sin, if there's known sin, you see that he, he makes it so easy. It's just, Lord, I confess, I did this and it's wrong, specifically sin. And I don't see according to scripture, I don't have to ask him then to forgive me. You understand that? I don't have to ask him. My guilt is already gone. I just have to say, I just have to say, I did this specific sin. And he forgives. My part is to confess. His part is to forgive. I don't have to ask him to do that. He just kicks it into gear. You see, it's already there. It's like, I've tr- I, I struggle sometimes trying to come up with the right kind of analogies. But it's like, confession is turning the lever that lets the water come out of the faucet. It's there. I just have to turn the faucet. The faucet is confession. Okay? So there's no restitution in my relationship with God when I, when I sin. There's no restitution until there's repentance and confession. And how hard is that? Well, it's really hard if you're proud. <laughs> it's really hard if you're rebellious. It's really hard if you're just being human. But honestly, it's just a matter of, Lord, I confess I did this. I did this. And I'm, I feel bad about it. And you know what happens? He forgives, we forget it, move on. Don't keep looking at the sin. See, see once we confess it, what we, do, what, I, what we do when we confess it is that the blood of Jesus is applied to that. And how powerful is the blood of Jesus? It's okay, it's gone. It's gone. Don't keep looking at it, just move on. That big, ugly dog that's all over you, messing with you, just tell him to get off and lay down and be quiet. And I'm moving on. I'm moving on. We become a Christian by lifting empty hands of faith. We, we walk through the process of sanctification, realizing that we can't live the Christian life on our lifting empty hands of faith. When it comes to these times of sin in our lives that come up as Christians, because we do, again, we lift empty hands of faith and say, I did this. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses me. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. John is not writing to unbelievers, he's writing to Christians. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even when I've done it again. (laughs) Have you ever done it again? (laughs) You know what the temptation then is? Oh, he can't forgive me for this again. You ever thought that? Stop it. 
Why? You're, what you're saying is that your sin is more powerful than the forgiveness that comes through Jesus' blood, which is ridiculous. You just ain't that important. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're just not that big. You're just not that. His, his sacrifice is overwhelming. Okay. The blood of Jesus is still and always will be of inestimable value to cleanse. 1 John 2, 1, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You see that in every area of our lives, I'm not advocating sinning. I'm not excusing sin. You understand that when we sin as Christians, it still takes the blood of Jesus applied to our lives to cleanse us, so we're still accessing the blood of Jesus even after we trust him as our Savior. But that's how we gain access from the tyranny within us, the separation that's within ourselves. God wants us to walk in freedom, and freedom in the area of conscience. And it's the same way that we receive salvation. It's the same way that we walk in the power of the Spirit. It's the same way that we receive the cleansing in the present process of dealing with sin in our lives. And it's the blood of Jesus. And I believe that if we become more conscious about that, if we begin to deal with our sin that way, when it comes up, hopefully you won't have to do this for like months from now. But when it comes up, deal with it that way. When we understand, see, I think there's a difference between just trying to not sin and becoming focused on sin. But when we're claiming the blood of Jesus as our cleansing and we realize that what I did drove the nails into his hands or the spear into his side, there's a whole different motivation for why I do what I do. Because I want to honor the one who gave himself his life for me. And it's my relationship with him that makes everything different. And so I believe that what God wants for us, and part of this whole aspect of what real Christianity is, is learning to walk with a clear, healed, free conscience. That's what God has in mind for us, in store for us, what he wants us to walk in. And it comes the same way salvation comes. It comes the same way sanctification comes. Empty hands of faith. The basis is the finished work of Jesus on the cross. He did it for us. Let's pray.